Hello and welcome to another episode of The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host, Blaine Bartlett. Um, I've got a real treat for us today. It's an old friend that I've uh, known for some time, and I say old in the sense of not uh, chronologically old. Uh, Simon is actually a fairly young guy compared to me, but uh, old in terms of our tenure. Uh, we've known each other for a while. Um, I love this guy. I, I love what he's up to. Uh, he is making an incredible mark in uh, the way that business operates. And I was just thrilled when he said yes to the invitation. Uh, Simon Mannering is uh, a brand futurist. He's a global keynote speaker. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute here. But he's also the, uh, the founder of uh, a fascinating uh, agency. The um, We First, it's a creative consultancy, and he's also the author of a former you know, New York Times bestselling book, Wall Street bestselling book, Amazon bestselling book, um, you know, We First, How Brands and Consumers Use Social Media to Build a Better World. He's got a new book coming out that we're going to talk about, but I wanted him on the show because uh, he and I are kind of in harness around some very interesting topics, and that has to do with the uh, how business can actually be uh, the pointy tip of the spear, if you will, in terms of causing things to be different than what they are today. So Simon, I wanna just welcome you to the show and thank you again for saying yes. I, I've been very much looking forward to this conversation. No, fantastic. Thank you for having me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, um, I mean, just for the folks that uh, you don't know much about what you've been doing. I want to just kind of give a couple of high points here. Um, as a creative director, yeah, in a former life before you founded uh, your agency, I mean, you worked with Ogilvy, uh, Wyden and Kennedy, Saatchi as creative directors. I mean, these are the big names in, in the ad agency world. In the, uh, and I'm asking that question for this, you know, I'm making that point to, to set up a question. Yeah. yeah advertising is what business uses to get in front of the consumer. And there's upsides and downsides to that. And when you jumped out and started um, your own agency, what was it that compelled that move? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I'd spent 15, 20 years in Australia, London, and then all over the US working at these ad agencies. And in particular, when I was a writer of an agency called Wyden and Kennedy, which is Nike's ad agency, um, I really learned the power of building movements as a brand. You know, you, you launch something, you know, I worked at the time on campaigns for like Agassi and Sampras, the tennis players and, and Lance Armstrong back in the day and so on. And you learn that if you do the communications correctly, you can build a movement. You can really shape culture. You can shift consumer thinking and behavior. And that was a very powerful experience. I then went on to be worldwide creative director at, at Ogilvy for Motorola. Um, and that sort of doubled down on that experience because you're launching phones all over the world at once. But to your question about why starting the agency, I'd come away from that world feeling a little bit disillusioned. Like a lot of Australians, I looked at different versions of success. You travel all around the world. You're thinking you're missing out on something. There's always one Australian at every party, right? And you're always like, what are they doing? They're, they're looking for what they think they're missing out on. And I came away from all of this effort in the ad world going, wow, I'm not feeling fulfilled or I'm, something's off, something's missing. And in hindsight, I realized that I was looking for greater meaning in the work that I was doing. I didn't want to just sell widgets for no reason. And so, you know, when the global economic meltdown happened in 2008, 
Bill Gates gave a speech at the World Economic Forum and then at the uh, floor of the General Assembly of the United Nations, which was called his creative capitalism speech, where he said, the private sector needs to play a bigger role in social change. And having worked on things like the Olympics and the World Cup and launched things like, you know, phones globally for Motorola, it, that scale doesn't scare you. And I'd had that movement building experience. And I thought, well, what if business took its true powers in and around communications and shaping culture, but applied that for good? And that felt like a really big opportunity for me. And so I spent three years writing We First, the book that came out in 2011. And then so I started the company to bring that to life. And since then, We've been lucky enough to work inside companies like Tom's and Timberland and SAP and others to really help them define what their purpose is, to make sure that it's um, ringing true inside the organization and they're walking their own talk internally. And then they're also taking it to market effectively. So I started the agency to sort of transpose the communication impact that marketing can have across to business as a force for good, because I think we really need it. Yeah. I, I love that 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 trajectory. Um, <clears throat> you know, business taking responsibility for the whole. I mean, that's that's one way that I think of it. Uh, it's it's uh, kind of the ethos of the World Business Academy. Uh, you know, with Ronaldo Rudico and yeah, some of the work that we do at the academy. Um, when I mean, just looking at that trajectory, when you think of the soul of business, which is you know, the, the, the title of this particular podcast, what does the soul of business mean to you? What does it evoke when you hear that phrase? And, and why is that important? Yeah, it evokes a lot, actually, because one thing I took away having worked on these brands that everybody knows is that you're not in the sneaker business. You're not in the car business. You're not in the widget business. You're in the human being business. It doesn't matter whether you're trying to sell the latest pair of, you know, basketball shoes or the latest model Tesla, you've got to connect on a human level with people. And that's what I mean by being in the human being business. So the soul of business to me is really about, you know, what is, what does it mean to be a human being? What is the spirit, the human spirit behind all that we do that inspires us, that motivates us, that drives us. And I think there's two key components for me. One is the soul of business is our connection to each other which is, you know, we're all part of one human family, whether we like it or not, even if times are divisive and there may be, you know, political division and so on. Um, and also the other is our connection to the planet, which we share. I think those two are fundamentals in the sense that they're hardwired into our brains and chemically, in, you know, into who we are as human beings. And I think we know that intuitively as well. We, we have this connection to each other that we miss so much during COVID and we restore ourselves and we go out you know, into nature. And so the soul of business for me is how do we actually take that fundamental connection between each other, with each other and with the planet and put it to work through the lens of capitalism in ways that's going to improve everybody's life and actually nurture the planet as well. You know, yeah, just taking that and riffing a bit on it. Um, for those of you that are watching this podcast, uh, you know, over my right shoulder here, uh, compassionate capitalism, um, the idea of connection. Um, and you and I were talking just prior to going, you know, on air with this. Uh, I gave a TED talk a couple of weeks ago at South Lake Tahoe. Right. Using nature as the metaphor for, for business. I mean, a curated English garden would be one example of how an economy could work very well. It's right. curated. And in that curation, it bridles 
uh, in a very, very real sense, it bridles the uh, innate tendency of man to rape, pillage, and plunder. I mean, and, and it's, it's the rational self-interest that uh, gets us in trouble. Yeah, what's what's in it for me? I've got rights, damn it. Uh, I mean, all of that stuff, as opposed to I've got obligations. I've got obligations to those that I'm connected with, and which is where compassion comes in. Um, yeah, I'm not compassionate about things I don't care about. Uh, and, I, and I'm not caring about things that I don't feel connected to. So in, in the messaging, uh, how do you, yeah, this is an altruistic yeah, option in one sense, but I don't think it needs to be altruistic or even utopianistic. How does it get pragmatically communicated? Because in bio, yeah, uh, communication isn't logical. It's actually biological with human beings. You know, I mean, it's what moves me. The yeah. business case isn't going to move me. The emotion that I tap into is what moves me. How do you make that happen with uh, the clients that you work with in the messaging? I, I think it's, it's an important distinction. And I think, you know, for a long time marketing in the last several decades, if not like five or six decades, as media became more powerful, it became drunk on its ability to manipulate behavior, to inspire emotions that motivate purchases or shifts in thinking or behavior, what is cool, where to go, what to do, what to buy. And I think we became drunk on it as we saw that the mediums themselves, whether it's television, print, radio, digital, social, mobile, were so powerful, we could tell people what to do, think, or buy, simply on the strength of the message and how targeted it was and so on. What, we're really, so what they're really doing is leveraging something that's fundamental, which is an emotional connection to the consumer. They're not just gonna buy because you tell them to, they're gonna buy because you inspire some emotional reaction, some emotional connection to the brand. So the work that we do is really about, you know, leveraging those same dynamics, which are just fundamentally human, but redirecting them towards higher order purpose or the shared values which a company may have. And now that's never gonna happen if the company itself is taking a very transactional, you know, product focused approach. But you've, everyone has probably noticed in the last several years, you've seen all of these brands define what their higher order purpose or role in the world is. For example, Dove, you know, the soap is, you know, to make beauty a source of confidence, not anxiety. Or Airbnb, which provides accommodation, is to create a world where anyone can belong anywhere. Or Unilever, the largest CPG in the world, is to make sustainable living commonplace. As soon as you articulate that on your own behalf, and you're going to market as a company selling products, the nature of the conversation changes because what you're talking about is that the products you're making reflect that, there's social proof of that commitment to a higher order purpose. And so we wanna generate an emotional connection around that. Now that in the abstract is a big shift, but at the same time, a lot has changed in the landscape of business to make that even more important and successful. We are all hyper aware of the challenges we face every single day on our phones and computers we hear about climate, the pandemic, Black Lives Matter, all of these different issues we're facing. We have younger demographics coming through, millennials and Gen Z, that are more values driven and are really worried about the world and future they've inherited. And at the same time, we're all hyper-connected through mobile, social, digital, we're always on. My eyesight has been ruined in the last 12 months, even more so than before, because we're all staring at screens all day. And so, when you see the repurposing of the fundamentals of communication, emotional connection towards the higher order purpose of a company in the context of heightened awareness of the crises we face, younger demographics and hyper-connectivity, 
then it makes sense that there's been this big shift. And quite honestly, none of us are playing at it now. I mean, there are some who'll do purpose washing and cause washing and so on, but the problems we're solving for are real. Climate is real, ocean pollution is real, loss of biodiversity is real. And so I think we're all on point now that we need to do something different. You know, you talk about, and I love the way that you phrase that, the higher order purpose of business, uh, because it invites a question, I mean, it, it literally invites a, a, a questioning, okay? I'm, well, I thought I was in business to sell a service or product. Sure. Yeah, well, if that isn't the case, you know, it's, it's kind of like for the sake of what does your business actually exist? Yeah. And it doesn't exist for the reason that most of us think. Uh, I mean, I personally think that the purpose of business is to enhance the possibility of thriving on this planet. Right. And if we just take that at, uh, as an option, yeah, how do we position ourselves as business leaders? How do we position our businesses to make that possibility of thriving actually come alive through our products and services? Yeah. And there's, you know, the, 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 the fallout of that, I mean, it's got a pretty long tail because then we start looking at how do I deliver so that recycling is, is built into what we do. And, and, and so the whole, and where I'm going with this um, uh, is you know, the whole SCG conversation uh, in terms of just how people are pending right now to evaluate how companies actually are doing. I mean, the just capital movement, um, you know, some of these sorts of things, metrics are changing in terms of how we're uh, assessing the efficacy of, of a business uh, as an entity. Um, now you're on the, you know, you've been nominated, uh, actually nominated, you are you know, more than nominated, you are a judge, uh, the Cannes uh, Festival yeah. uh, for SCG Films. Um, I'd like you to talk a little bit about that, if you wouldn't mind, because I think when we start looking at how does this actually translate into action, you know, and, and films are emotive, you know, films will, you know, this is the medium that people pay attention to today is video. Yeah, you know, a couple of points, so distinctions I draw. Too often people think there's this separation between purpose and profit. And yeah. for a long time, people just wanted to sell stuff and make money. That is not realistic when you actually look at, you know, the reality of the world that we live in. And the reality of the world that we live in now is that we've got a very, very challenged situation that we find ourselves in. And so, you know, they're not at odds. In fact, I deeply believe the future of profit is purpose because if you look clear-eyed at the world in which we live, and if you look at the expectations of customers, consumers, employees, and now investors, which is that companies should do good, the more that you can articulate your higher purpose and walk your talk and show that you're actually delivering on it and you know with those metrics that you, you you mentioned then the more you're going to resonate with them and they're going to buy your product why because it says something about them i drive a tesla because i want a sustainable future or i buy dove soap because you know i believe in you know the empowerment of women in terms of how they perceive themselves and how they're portrayed to others so i actually believe that if you had the same profit motive as those in the past who just wanted to take as much as they could for themselves but really apply that to being purposeful, then you're actually going to be better positioned for business growth and so on. Back to your question about the SDGs. I mean, these are the sustainable development goals, which are 17 goals that were established in 2015 when over 200 heads of states came together and said, here are the largest problems in the world that we've got to solve for. And here are the barriers and here, you know, here are the opportunities and so on. 
and they created a platform through which everyone could collaborate to solve these issues. Now, I'm lucky enough and feel very honored to be on the, the, the CAN jury this year. And all I would say is that it gives you a very powerful line of sight as to all the challenges we face. Because as you look at these hundreds of entries in and around um, you know, the greatest problems that we have and also the most effective solutions at scale for them, you know, on one hand, you're very kind of sober because you look at it and go, wow, this is, we've got a lot of challenges. At the same time, you get very inspired by the way humanity is showing up to make a difference. And my only observation would be that there's a spectrum between those who take a tactical one-off approach, which is let's just raise some noise around this issue. Let's raise awareness, which is, you know, does a certain job, but I think far more effective are those that provide a systemic solution that are solving for the problem in a scalable way that has application in that specific market or region, but more importantly, globally, because all of these problems are connected. And in the same way, all of those solutions are connected. So the more we provide systemic solutions, the more we collaborate, the more effective we can be in not only addressing the, the problems now, but also for the future as well. Now, I want to, um, we're going to take a real brief break here. When we sure. come back, what I want to do is talk a little bit about what are some of the systemic solutions that you know, in your viewing as a juror uh, of these films, you are beginning to see you know, emerge. You know, and is there kind of a thread that we could leverage there? So. Folks, we'll be right back. We're talking with Simon Mannering and uh, we'll pick this up in just a moment. I wanna thank you for listening. Um, I wanna also invite you right now to go to blainebartlett.com. And on that site, which is my personal website, you'll see uh, services up on the top menu. I'd like you to click on Leadership Mastermind. Now, why I want you to do that is we have uh, structured a mastermind program that is very unusual and it is very powerful. And by going onto that site and clicking that link, you'll be taken to a landing page that is an invitation to join this mastermind. It's a 52 week long exploration of what it takes to be a highly effective leader in today's fast changing environment. You won't regret it. And if you've been liking what you've been listening to on these Soul of Business podcasts, how does one become a leader that can keep connection to the soul of business? That's what we look at. That's what we're about in this mastermind program. So again, go to blainebartlett.com and click on the services link. And there you'll find the link to the leadership mastermind program. Look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for listening to this little commercial. And now back to our show. Welcome back. I'm talking with Simon Mannering, um, founder and CEO of uh, We First Agency. But we were talking before we left. Uh, he's a, a juror this year, a cons juror, and, and looking at films. And sustainable solutions. Um, when you were talking just before the break here, you made a distinction between making noise and actually, you know, through raising awareness, providing sustainable solutions to the problems that the noise is intended to, yeah, get people to focus on. What are some of the, you know, if, if there is a theme or if there are some sustainable solutions that you're seeing here that have some promise uh, that uh, we might want to pay attention to 
you know, can you enlighten us just a little bit? Yeah, I can, I can certainly talk about the approach. I can't talk about any of the specific solutions because the judging's underway, obviously. But, right. um, you know, the nature of solutions more broadly, firstly, they need to identify the root causes. So, you know, um, it's not just about getting sort of plastic bottles out of the ocean, for example. It's about looking at the supply chains of companies and asking them why they're using plastic in the first place. So you've got to look at root problems. The second thing is you've got to provide a collaborative platform so that more stakeholders can participate. So it's not just one person, one company, one NGO or nonprofit trying to fix the problem. It's never going to be enough. You have to take a collaborative approach where you say, here's a way that we can all work together in new ways to make sure that we're not only doing less bad, we're doing more good together. And that means several things. It means different regions working together. It means different companies working together that might otherwise be competitors. Or it means that um, you know, you're providing solutions that are, everyone can use so that you know, they can be applied in different ways by different companies at different times. And then finally, you know, another layer to these types of solutions are not just a variety of stakeholders where you, you know, you're providing solutions where investors, employees, customers, consumers, citizens can play a role, but also cross-sector. It's also very, very powerful to engage government in terms of policy change that disincentivizes companies to do things they're going to do more harm, for example, and actually incentivize them to do more good. You've got NGOs, foundations, and nonprofits that are really the expert boots on the ground that know how to get it done. And then you've got business as well, and especially the investor class that is in being incentivizing businesses that are making a difference to make more better for you, better for the planet products, to reward those companies that are disrupting industries and so on. So, you know, if you really take a collaborative approach, you look to the root causes, you provide systemic solutions, and you really kind of look at it through the wider lens of cross-sector collaboration, then it's not a surprise that you go, wow, in the same way that this one problem has a lot of dimension and affects us, uh, us all, this solution has a lot of dimension and can affect us all in a positive way. And so th those larger big souls are the ones that will probably have the greatest long-term long impact. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm really intrigued with this because, you know, right now I don't think we can afford to think small. Uh, and, and, and I mean that in the... In, it's, it's almost a paradox. Yeah, think globally, act locally. In the acting locally, I have to be bigger in my thinking right. than what I've ever thought was going to be possible. And I'm, I'm struck by collaborative platforms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In my neighborhood, in my uh, in my state, in my uh, village, in my city, yeah, being able to leverage those notions in a much broader way. So it's not just business as usual. Are, are you seeing some examples of where that's actually showing up? Yeah, I think you see lots of kind of well-known examples which should give everyone some encouragement. Like the SDGs themselves, the Sustainable Development Goals, is a very, very powerful platform in terms of, you know, just identifying what are the biggest issues and having collaborative efforts to define how we address them. Or if you look at movements like sustainable brands or conscious capitalism, where you're seeing coalitions of companies coming together around you know, shared values or in, you know, with the B Corp movement where you see B Corp as benefit corporations that all sign on to a declaration of interdependence where it really calls out our dependence on each other 
and on the planet and reframes how we show up as businesses in those terms. You know, and I think you're seeing more and more, I mean, just in the last month or two, the Eco Skies Coalition between all the major airlines where they've said, hey, you know, for business travel, you can offset your carbon footprint by paying a little bit more. Or if you look at the US um, Plastics Pact, which has all the major retailers in the US signing on to reducing their use of plastic, you're starting to see things that were just unimaginable even five years ago. And the reason is selfish in the best sense. These companies realize that climate and these other issues are affecting their supply chain. It's affecting their ability to attract talent. It's affecting how their employees feel about them. It's affecting whether customers choose to buy from them. You know, and it's affecting their reputation and their relevance to the future. And so the nice thing is, is that market forces are now disincentivizing harmful behaviors and increasingly rewarding behaviors that serve everybody. And that's why it is, it is a good time to be optimistic. Well, and that I think speaks to the power of the consumer yeah. you know, as part of the you know, economic mix. Yep. You know, we're not just receiving goods and services. We actually have a voice in terms of how those uh, are brought to market, how they actually are distributed, how they're actually disposed of, I mean, yep. all of those sorts of things. And <clears throat> you know, just, just, I mean, I'm, I'm just really interested here with this, your, your take on this one. Um, as we start emerging from the pandemic, yeah, you know, you know I'll speak specifically in the U.S., you know, there's a labor shortage, uh, and the powers that be are attributing it to, I think, all of the wrong reasons. Um, I think that actually, in, in, in fact, what's going on, particularly at uh, entry levels, yeah, uh, jobs, yeah, it's not because they're getting unemployment benefits that are uh, egregiously uh, tilting the uh, the. the the, the balance is that living wages are now top and foremost in people's minds. And if, if I can't pay a living wage, why do I deserve to be in business? I mean, that would be kind of where I would land. Exactly. And you mentioned Just Capital earlier on. I spoke to Martin Whitaker, the CEO of Just Capital, not long ago. And yep. he said in the research they do, the number one issue in terms of what's the priority in amongst US citizens, irrespective of politics, is a fair and living wage. Mm -hmm. And increasingly, you're seeing companies go above and beyond the, the federally mandated minimum wage to $15, $20 an hour now. And as you say, it's unconscionable. How on earth can you justify your business being in business if otherwise half, you know, your employees are on food stamps or borderline, you know, the poverty line? You know, that, that has to be the definition of exploitative, I would think. And so this long overdue issue is finally rearing, rearing its head. And the fact that people aren't going back to work, partly in some, some people say because they do get benefits that aren't hugely different from, you know, what they would be getting as a wage, that's just exposing the problem. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's just disincentivizing people to work because they're not getting paid enough. And I think this is a long overdue issue. And it's amazing to see companies like PayPal and others really step up to the plate here. Yeah, I, yeah I, I'm actually encouraged by this in a, in a lot of ways. Uh, it's disruptive, uh, incredibly disruptive, but what's being disrupted is the status quo. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's high time that it did yeah, get disrupted. I, I agree. I think, you know, in as much as CEOs are now being held accountable to be the spokespeople for their brand, you know, what do they stand for? What's their role in the world? They're also accountable. 
So if you're putting your hand up and saying we're a good company and this is our role in the world and so on and so on, yet you're not paying a living wage, I think there's three fundamentals to business today that are just table stakes. You have to address if you're going to survive. One is you know, the climate emergency, whether that's through the lens of sustainability or ESG, environmental, social and governance metrics, which are how big companies really measure the impact that they're having positive or, or negative. Then the second is DNI, diversity and inclusion, or JEDI, justice, you know, another acronym, and or DNI, DINE. But it's all about addressing the, you know, social inequities and, and injustices that come from that that have played out so clearly in the Black Lives Matter movement. And then the third is a fair and living wage, where you know, fundamentally, your responsibility to your business has to be an extension of your responsibility to the biggest line item on your P&L, which is your, your payroll and the people who come through the door every day. And if they're not surviving, how well are they, what sort of a job are they gonna do for your business? It's, yeah. just, it's just logical to me. Yeah, you know, you know, you know, <laughs> this isn't rocket science. No, <laughs> to, no. to coin a phrase, it's, yeah. it really isn't. Right. Um, you know, the idea of a higher order purpose comes back to mind here. Um, businesses, per- is to enhance the possibility of thriving for all blended encounters. Uh, if we just took that, I mean, the, you know, if business leaders took a Hippocratic oath of sorts, you know, first do no harm. I mean, something as simple as that can be an incredible uh, touchstone for how we operate uh, economically around the planet. I, I think so. I think, you know, in my, my first book, We First, I wrote this new social contract between brands and consumers because I felt it was missing. But, you know, I think there was the presumption for a long time that a business exists to improve people's lives. I mean, it sounds like a no brainer, but then again, you think back and go, well, wait a second, cigarettes, you know, how was that? You know, they were sold as life enhancing, but obviously they're bad for your health. Um, But I think over time, as I mentioned before, we got drunk on the power of media and that sort of, you know, you could just manipulate people and it was all in service of your bottom line at the exclusion of everything else. Um, but now those chickens have come home to roost. And here we see, you know, we've got the, the living systems falling apart. We see social systems falling apart. We see disparity of wealth. And the bottom line is brands can't survive in societies that fail. They can't. In which case, you know, brands need to make sure that the, their own people, their customers, they can all survive and thrive, as you say. And without that, there is no business to be had. And so I think we are effectively redrawing that social contract between business and consumers now. I think that's happening intangibly, but it's also, it's a collective effort as consumers are demanding it, as employees are demanding it, and as investors are demanding it. Yeah. You know, um... You're, you're writing a new book right now. You know, we've referenced yeah. the one that you wrote, and, and it actually came out in 2011. It took you three years to write it. Yeah. Uh, this new book it actually drops uh, in November, I believe. Yeah. Uh, November 9th. Yeah. yeah. So we can get pre-orders and whatnot on Amazon. But I'd, I'd like you to talk a little bit about what compelled you to write it, uh, because you actually got it you know, from soup to nuts <laughs> much faster than three years this time. Yeah. Although that discounts any of the research that went into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. In, the last, well, in, the, in the last 10 years, yeah. uh, putting it together. So um, leading with we. Um, so the business revolution that will save our future. What's that about for you? Well, as you mentioned, 
this new book is based on 10 years of work with private equity or venture-backed startups all the way through to very large enterprises like Sony Pictures and Avery Dennison and VF Corporation and, and others. And it really is patent recognition having done this work and really identified what truly moves the needle in terms of growth and impact for companies of all sizes. And as I stood back and took a look at this work on the strength of the whole effort of the team, the whole team at WeFirst, um, what was very clear to me is that there was something missing. We have the stakes, you know, in the sense that we are facing, facing an existential crisis as a species on this planet. I mean, if we put the, the planet out of business, we are out of business. We also now have the stakeholders at the table. So we've, we've got the investor class there like never before, as well as consumers and employees. I mean, think about the employees at Amazon and Google and Facebook that have pushed back over you know, hate speech and pay scales and um, climate commitments. Um, and you know, when you got all those, the, the, you, so you got the stakeholders as well, but I thought it was a very, very important need to have a new narrative for business, which is really the story of business. And, you know, people often probably don't think about this, but capitalism itself has evolved over time. Mm -hmm. Language, like, you know, to address the climate emergency, it used to be global warming, climate crisis, now it's climate emergency. All of these things are fungible, they evolve over time. And what I felt or what I'd experienced in our work so clearly at WeFirst was, you need to give people a simple access point that they can apply to all aspects of their business to go from theory to practice. And so Lead With We is really a mindset, you know, like a point of departure for how you think about business. It's also a process, how you go about getting it done. And also it's an aspiration in the sense of, okay, what does success look like? And so with that in mind, what does that mean? Well, Lead With Me, Lead With We means we, we work together collaboratively in order to create results that are gonna benefit everyone. Why? Because what we're seeing right now with the living systems breaking down, for example, the climate crisis, loss of biodiversity and so on, is a result of humanity not really serving the whole, but each individual part serving themselves to the exclusion of the whole. Let's take as much as we can, Let's not care about the consequences, what plastic, what po poisons we're putting in the river. Let's make as money as we can. Let's hoard it as, as much as we can compared to others. And this is not about saying that wealth is wrong. This is about saying, wait a second, it's been driven to such extreme that the entire system itself is breaking down. Yeah. So you've got to restore the integrity of the whole system, social systems and the living systems of the planet. And so leading with we is about saying, hey, we've got to reprioritize the collective interests in terms of the planet and social systems so that we can all thrive. Because without that, what on earth is going to happen? We're going to continue down this wormhole. We'll have more and more extreme weather events. The climate will increasingly compromise our lives. We may well have more pandemics. The social inequities will lead to civil unrest if history tells us anything. And it's just going to get worse and worse for all of us. And so Leading with We is really a practical step-by-step -step guide for how each company, whether you're a startup or whether you're a large global enterprise, how you can lead with We in a way that will not only drive business growth, but will make sure that you're part of the solution to all of these issues. 
See, you know, I, I, I'm, I can't wait to get my hands on this um, because, yeah, in, in that TED talk I, I referenced a little bit ago, <clears throat> one of the things that I made a particular point of emphasizing was that you will not see centers of accumulation in nature. Where you do see centers of accumulation occurring, you actually have a dead zone. Yeah. Uh, the Dead Sea is a great example of that. Everything in there functions as a center of distribution because it has a quote unquote a mindset of, of collectivism. I mean, yeah. uh, not socialism. I mean, yeah, it's a we. It really is a we. Is. We are interconnected. We are overlapping with each other. There's no separation. Yeah, you know? I, I don't think we need any other teacher other than nature itself. I mean, when you look at the codependencies in nature, if you look at these powerful TED Talks, you know, there's a woman who did talk about how Ted talk about how trees talk to each other. Yeah, you know, I referenced her in my talk. Right, yeah. exactly. You know, all of these examples just show us that each of the elements of nature, of which we are a part, has a role to play. And as long as we all play our role within certain limits, then the whole system can function. And that system will function in a way to create abundance. Yeah. But if we do start hoarding, as you say, if we do create these sort of accumulations, it throws the system off balance. And we're seeing that in the natural world and we're seeing that, you know, amongst humanity, you know, here in the United States, in a lot of regions and other countries around the world, you know, it's a very privileged experience of life, you know, because that's where that wealth is concentrated. But in the vast, for the vast majority of people and most of the regions around the world, their experience of life is incredibly compromised and increasingly so. And at some point, that's going to become visited upon all of us. Plus, we have a responsibility to care for our fellow human beings in a way that's conscionable. And, you know, the true power of capitalism, you know, which I'm a deep, deep believer in, is its ability to create wealth and abundance for the, mm -hmm. you know, for the majority of people. There will always be those who have a little bit more, or a little bit less. But the way it's being practiced right now is really coming up short. And that's why you see Mark Benioff, the CEO of Salesforce, saying capitalism, we, as we know it, is dead. That's why you see the CEO of the largest money management firm in the world, Larry Fink, you know, really calling for a fundamental restructuring of the capital markets. You know, everyone is aware that something is wrong and we need to do things differently. Yep. Where can people find out more about what you're up to, Simon? And and uh, and you also do uh, speaking. Um, I want to make sure that we get that in because I think your message needs to be heard. Yeah, yeah. In 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 the corridors of power. So, no, how can you. people find out about you? You can pre-order the book at Amazon. Um, it's called Lead with We, or you can just go to leadwithwe.com and you can you can buy the book on Amazon there. So, leadwithwe.com. If you're interested in you know having me speak and helping you you and your company navigate this new um, approach and roadmap for how you drive growth what, by solving for these issues. You can reach me at simon at wefirstbranding.com or you can go to simonmannering.com, which is spelled Mainwaring, M-A-I-N-W-A-R-I-N-G. It's one of those names. Um, and if you're interested in the work we do on the consulting side, it's, it's wefirstbranding.com, wefirstbranding. And, you know, I think as ominous as these challenges are, there has never been a more exciting time to be in business because everyone, and including the investor class, which is so critical because that's where the money comes from, has really woken up to the need to do things differently. And I think, you know, when we're driven by our survival instinct, human ingenuity is absolutely extraordinary. 
And we have every one of these challenges we face is a marketplace opportunity in disguise. Yeah. For somebody who wants to step in and solve for that. And so I think if you're a business leader, owner, founder, you should be incredibly excited right now. And you need to be cautiously optimistic because we do have some serious issues to solve for. But if you're part of the solution and you inspire others, more companies to do the same, and we all work together, the market forces will reinforce that. Consumers, employees will reinforce that. And it will be extraordinary what we can achieve. We just need to go like hell. Love it. Guest today, Simon Mannering. Thank you so much, my friend. Okay. And um, you can find out more about what I'm up to at blamebartlett.com. And uh, I encourage you to check out Simon's uh, site. Uh, do get his new book. Uh, you will not be disappointed. I can guarantee that after having read his first book. He's an incredibly good gifted writer. I mean, he truly is. So uh, Simon, again, thank you very much. Appreciate it, my friend. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Blaine. And thank you to everybody listening. And together we can, we can get it done, but we need to start now. So excited for what we can all do together. Until next time. Thank you for listening to The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host, Blaine Bartlett, and we'll see you on the next episode. Take care. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.